Imagine this for a minute. The perfect wedding day. The bride comes dressed in white, looking just gorgeous and pure for the world to see ready to surrender herself to the groom and the groom comes and he's handsome and strong and anointed and just ready to give himself as a sacrifice so that he can receive his bride and these two are gathered together there in the presence of all these witnesses to to just be focused completely on one another to be and then all of a sudden The best man leaves his place of support and jumps in between the bride and groom and makes himself the center of attention, bringing all the glory not to the groom, not to the bride, but to himself and absorbing it all. (laughs) I'm trying to be the focus of everything that's going on during the wedding. (laughs) Seems silly, doesn't it? I mean, no one would ever do that. No one would ever do that during a wedding. I mean, nobody would ever come, you know, out of the wedding party and then try to take the place of the bride or take the place of the groom. And yet we do it every day in the kingdom of God. Every day we try to step in front of God and absorb some of the glory that was meant for Him. Every day, we try to step in between the groom and the bride and take some of the essence, take some of the celebration for our self. You know, the world tells us that we need to increase. The world tells us that we need to increase even if it's even if it costs everything around us to decrease even if we have to suck the life out of everything around us the world tells us that we need to increase that in order to be somebody that we have to be more that we have to have more influence that we have to have more resources that we have to have more stuff more relationships more money more status more everything more and more and more even if we have to steal it from everybody around us including God. And yet the life of a Christian flies in the face of all that the world tells us is important. There's a document called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And y'all might not know what that is, but I'm going to teach y'all some church history stuff here today, right? So basically it's a document where in the 1600s all the churches in England and Scotland, not all of them, but a lot of them got together to decide what they were going to teach. See, the the churches had kind of gotten scattered out and they were teaching all kinds of different things. And so they just had a big meeting and came together and tried to decide what it was that they were going to teach was right. I mean, it'd be kind of like if me and Tony from River Point and Pastor Trent down there from IMC and Nick at the River Lake and Chad over there at Highland Hills and Greg down there at Crossland, if, if we all got together and Johnny over there at the place, if we all got together and had a big meeting and decided what we were going to teach and try to make it line up, probably wouldn't go very well. But, but they did a little better job than we might they came up with this big, huge list of things. And the very first one, how the the Westminster Catechism opens up is this. They determined what the purpose of life is. Number one says, the purpose of life is to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. People want to know what the meaning of life is. Well, there it is. 
The meaning of life is to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him forever. That means everything in our life should be focused on God. Everything that we do should be, to, should be to bring glory to Him. And everything that we receive should be from Him. And that should be the focus of our lives. And anything that doesn't line up with that is not the kingdom of God. Anything that, lines up, that does not line up with that is not what is being taught in the Scriptures. Not what's being taught in the New Testament of the living God. I know it doesn't make much sense because it flies in the face of everything that our world tells us is true. But what about God doesn't? When's the last time God asked you to do something that made sense? Hey, can I use your boat? Well, we didn't catch nothing. I don't care. Hey, everything you've been taught about church is wrong. Really? I've been living it my whole life. Yeah, I don't care. Once again, God tells us something that doesn't make sense to our human minds. He must increase. But in order for that to happen, we must decrease. And we're not willing to do that because our whole life we've been taught that we need to increase. If we want to be considered a success, we need to increase. If we want to be better, we need to increase. If we want to be looked at as though we're somebody, then we need to increase. God says that's not the way. That's not the way. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? I'm in the book of John in chapter 3. We're actually going to pick up immediately where we left off last week, which I think is pretty cool. And... You're going to see a much different conversation this week than what you saw last week. John chapter 3, verse 22, the Bible says this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went went to the Judean countryside, where he spent time with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification, So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Now John responded, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Pray with me. God, today I pray for the increase. The increase of your influence, the increase of your glory, the increase of your power, the increase of your love, the increase of your forgiveness, the increase of your truth, the increase of your light, the increase of your healing, the increase of your authority, the increase of your anointing, the increase of everything that is of you, God. And for that, to, for, to make that happen, God, I pray for the decrease of us, God. I pray that everything that we thought was important, you just get it out of the way, God. I pray that every bit of glory that we try to bring to ourselves, that you would just take at your altar and we could just trade it for your grace, God. Lord, I pray that in this moment that we will decrease, God, even if it's down to nothing, God, that we'd be willing to decrease down to nothing to increase your kingdom, even if it's just by a little bit, God. We praise you and we worship you and we surrender everything that we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Man, let's give him praise this morning. Come on. 
what you're going to see is a huge contrast. You can be seated. A huge contrast between the conversation that we looked at last week uh, and the conversation that you're going to hear this week. Last week, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus the Pharisee. And in order to introduce him to the grace of God, he had to break down all this legalism and all this, you know, all these rules and all this works-based get-to-God stuff that he was teaching and receiving. It was all about religion last week. The conversation that Jesus was having was about religion. But today you're not going to see religion. Today you just see relationship. Today you see the love of God shown in John the Baptist's life. A certain Jew came and he was starting some trouble about the, pure, the Jewish purification rites with John's disciples. People always be coming to you trying to start some stuff out of, over some theological matters that don't really matter. That's why I've instructed my staff not to engage with that garbage online because it doesn't do any good to argue on the internet with people that just aren't going to really even uh, make any sense about things anyway. Uh, so we just don't do that. We don't engage with that kind of nonsense. Look, I'm here to tell you that I know one thing. That Jesus Christ was crucified on Calvary's cross for the remission of our sins. And that it's by His blood and His sacrifice that we have been saved by His grace poured out through our faith. Can you say amen? And anything other than that doesn't really matter. We can talk about it if you want to talk about it, and that's fine. We can dive into what the Bible says about those little bitty intricate issues. But ultimately, the only thing that matters is that Jesus Christ died for the remission of our sins. And if we'll receive him, we'll be forgiven. Can you say amen? And that's all I'm worried about. Dude, the rest of it is ancillary. The rest of it is other. It's just side stuff that we can worry about later. And if you believe that, that Jesus was lifted up for our sins, man, then we can get along. That we can, be, we can get along. We can do ministry together. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ and worry about the rest of the stuff later. And that's the same way that JB is in the Scriptures. Man, all that he preached one thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, well, what about this? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, man, repent. And that's all he said. And I could just say that too and we could be done. But they tried to start some stuff with John the Baptist over, you know, over the purifications, and he didn't care about that stuff. So they went to his disciples, and they tried to get in that way. See, Jesus will say later in the Scriptures, beware the teaching of the Pharisees, right? For their, their, you know, their twisting of Scripture is like leaven and bread. A little bit of it gets in, right? And then all of a sudden it affects everything that's going on around it. So they came to his disciples, and they were like, Hey, man, didn't y'all used to be the biggest church in the land? Didn't everybody used to come over here to be baptized? I mean, don't you remember when y'all were the exciting bunch and y'all were the ones that came from God? Don't you remember, man, when your church was growing and everybody was coming, everybody was excited and all this stuff was going on? Yeah, what happened? How come everybody's going over there now? And then all of a sudden, John's disciples were like, oh yeah, nobody's here anymore. What's going on? And so they went, they did exactly what the enemy wanted them to do. They went to John. And they were like, hey John, man, how come that our church is shrinking and their church over there is growing? And everybody used to come to our church all the time and nobody comes to our church anymore. Everybody's going to their church now. And John was like, man, Relax. 
I told you that I wasn't the Messiah. I told you that I wasn't the Messiah. If they're going to him, then we win. All I ever came to do was to point people to him. And it doesn't matter how they get there. All that matters is that they're going. If they're going to him, then we win. Yet it doesn't matter what church they say they go to. And it doesn't matter who they say sent them there. All that matters is that they get there. Can you say amen? Same thing in our culture, man. I don't care what church people go to. I don't care what preachers see people sit under. All I care is that people make it to the glory of God, that they go to the throne room, that they go to the foot of the cross. If they're going to Jesus, then guess what? Our job is done. Because let me be real clear. For John the Baptist and for myself, man, the things that I say can gather the people, but only he can set them free. The the things that I say can prepare the heart, but only he can create a new one. The things that I say may be able to prepare the way. But wait, church, only he is the way. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Yeah, give him praise for that. Come on. Come on. No matter what we do, if we're doing it on our own, it's not enough. It's not I mean, we can never do enough on our own. As a matter of fact, the greatest thing that we have ever done in our life, if we did it to bring glory to ourselves, it was a waste of time. It really was. The greatest thing that we've ever done in our life, man, if we did it to bring glory to ourselves, we wasted our time. It was a colossal waste of effort. You know why? Because it won't last. It won't last. Anything that we did to bring glory to ourselves, man, won't last. It won't stand the test of time. I mean, the Bible says that everything we do is going to go through a test like fire, and we'll see what comes out the other side. I know a bunch of the stuff I've done in my life is going to burn up like scrub brush. I mean, I'm talking about the dry stuff, you know? Like, not anything that's in Kentucky right now in this Noah epic flood that we got going on. I'm talking about, like, the bushes that were in your yard in mid-August, you know what I'm saying? When you ain't been out there watering that stuff because it's 106 degrees. And, 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 and the stuff is just so dry. So dry. That like, if, if a, like, man, you could like take a magnifying glass and start a brush fire. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the way that most of my works are going to be. You know why? Because I did most of it for me. Colossians 3 says that whatever we do, we should do it as though doing it for the Lord. Whatever. Not just church stuff. Everything. Everything, it says everything that you do, do it as though doing it for the Lord and your reward will come from, from the Lord. Remember that, remember that sermon, Redefine the Grind? Josh got the shirt on, man. Remember we did that? Everything that you do, you should do for the Lord. Leaving nothing out. Everything we do should be done to bring glory to God. And if it's not, it's a waste of time. Matthew 6 says, be careful. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, Right? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Even if you're serving the Lord. Even if you're giving for the Lord. Even if you're praying for people. If your heart's postured wrong... If you're doing it to bring glory for you, then it's a waste of time. Not only that, it's probably a sin. Can you say amen? Don't do it, man. Don't do it. Let me tell you this. I will guarantee you that the Father don't like it when you go to steal glory from the Son. (laughs) I promise you that. 
man, if we do those things, if we live our lives to bring glory to ourselves, it's all we're ever going to get. You know, that little short burst of good feeling that you have when people say, hey, man, that was great. You did a good job. And you're like, oh, man, I did do pretty good. Man, that pat on the back is all you ever get. God's not going to honor that, man. God's not going to glorify that. It won't last the test of time. I mean, a lot of the stuff I've done, even for the church, has been done with selfish intent. I'm just telling you. But on the other end of the spectrum, man, the greatest thing that we can ever do in our lives is to do anything for the Lord. So the greatest thing that you ever did for yourself was a waste. The least thing. I mean, the littlest, most microscopic, most insignificant thing that you ever in your life done purely for the Lord is an incredible investment in a kingdom that cannot fail. The littlest, most tiniest thing. Look at this. Matthew chapter 5 says this. It says, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Man, don't hide your service to God. Don't hide your service to God. Just don't do it for you. Make sure that you do it for Him. It's all about reflecting that glory onto Him. Even if people pointed at us, we should be reflectors of His glory, shining it directly at Him where it belongs. Man, let your good works be seen before people. Don't hide the fact that you're serving the Lord. Let everybody know. But make sure your heart is in the right place. Let me give you an example. There could be two folks here serving in the church at the same time, doing the same thing. You know, let's, let's put the spotlight on our Wayfinders ministry today. There could be folks down here at the back door, off the deck, welcoming people in, shaking their hands, extending the love of God to them. And let me tell you how important that ministry is. You know, some folks had a bad morning this morning. Some folks had a bad night last night. Some people were screaming at each other on, in the car on the way to church this morning. Raise your hand if that was you. No, I'm just kidding, don't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, though. No, we don't want to know. But, I mean, we've been, me and my wife have been there before. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Sometimes we didn't pull up in the parking lot like, rah, 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 and then, you know, we go to walk in the church. We're like, hey, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Uh, but our Wayfinder ministry, they can disarm that stuff. You do it with a nice handshake and a smile and a hug and tell people God loves them, and we do too. All of a sudden, all that junk that people brought in with them can be disarmed right at the door. Can be disarmed right at the door. Because it's a, it's a miraculous thing what, what a smile can do for somebody. A miraculous thing just what the love of God exposed through it, through one of God's people can do in somebody's life. And that's what our wayfinders can do. And, and say there's somebody doing that at the back door, man, just loving on people. And I see them do that. And I'm like, man, that was awesome. And say there's somebody up here at the front door doing the exact same thing, loving on people, shaking their hands, hugging people, man, giving them the holy Christian kiss. Well, we don't do that anymore, but that's, anyway, never mind. Just loving on people, man, and just showing them the love of God. I mean, we have this reputation of being a loving church, man. I just want to continue that and extend that. And I can celebrate both those people as the pastor. I can be like, man, that was incredible. I've seen you just loving on folks and welcoming them in and just being God's hands and feet on the earth. Great job. And I can say that to both of them. And I can celebrate them both. But there's a chance that God will only celebrate one of them. And there's a chance that the other one could be in sin, even though they did the exact same actions. Because sometimes our hands can do one thing while our heart is doing something completely different. And I need you to know that God sees both of those things, right? 
And, and, and if the posture of our heart's wrong, no matter what the activity that we did was, if the posture of our heart's wrong, it's possible for us to do something that does not honor God, but tries to bring glory to us. And like I said, God don't like it when we try to steal glory from the Son. Can you say amen? So it's possible for you to do the right things with the wrong posture and not be honored by God and not be blessed by God and not be on the decrease so that he in your life and in the lives around you can be on the increase. So I'm just challenging us all to have the right heart posture. To have the right heart posture because God sees and God knows. God knows. And he sees our intentions. Oftentimes we judge ourselves by our intentions and other people by their actions. We see what people did and we judge them for that. But in our own lives, it doesn't matter what we did. It just matters what we meant to do, right? God knows both. So God doesn't just see what you did. God also knows what you meant to do. He knows both. He sees both and he judges both. You know, as human beings, we're so afraid that if somebody really knows us, that they won't love us. I mean, aren't we? I mean, I am. I talked about that in New Life a couple weeks ago, didn't I, Todd? We're, we're, we're scared that if somebody really knows us deeply, I mean, knows our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, if somebody really knows us, that they won't love us. And yet, the one who knows us the most, mark this, the only one that truly knows you, loves you the best. Knowing exactly who you are, knowing all the ugly thoughts that you've been having, knowing all the, the negative things that you wanted to do, knowing all the struggle that you have in your life and all the brokenness that you manifest, knowing every bit of your dirt, and yet still this God that we serve is willing to die for you on a Roman cross. What an awesome God we serve. I mean, that's where intention meets action. Amen. Come on. Man, what an awesome God we serve feel like preaching today even at the second service come on when I'm tired my voice don't work right anymore in the book of Luke in chapter 21 Jesus was in the temple and he saw all the people bringing their offering to the front they brought their offering and they were putting it in the box man and some of them folks had so much offering that it was hard to carry I mean they was bringing big big dollars big dollars one of them $10,000 checks I talk about, but I haven't seen yet, so. <laughs> but they wanted everybody to see it, right? Look at me. I got ten grand here I'm about to drop in the pot. Everybody look. Everybody look. Who's got 10000 Oh, I got 10000 Drop it in the pot. And everybody did that. And everybody was celebrating them. The whole crowd celebrating. I'm like, yay, brought 10000 That's good. Come on. Everybody's cheering. And the next guy, like, who's got a thousand? And they brought a thousand and dropped it in there. Everybody's like, yeah. I mean, maybe that's not really what happened. That's just how I see it. And then at the very end, this old lady brings up two pennies. Two, two, two pennies. Two pennies. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, right there. Right there, that's it. That, that's what I'm asking. That's what I want. The rest of them people could have kept their money. I don't even want it. What I want is those two pennies right there. You know why? Because she was willing to decrease down to nothing. 
She was willing to decrease down to nothing to see the kingdom of God increase just a little bit. Just a little. She went down to nothing so the kingdom of God could increase by two cents. I led the offering in Mission 615 one day. My wife was there with me and I was leading the offering and, and they were using to, they were, we were down there under the bridge, man, and they were passing, you know those baking pans, the aluminum ones that you get if you don't want to have to get your dish back from the potluck? They were using those to take up the offering and they were passing them down the line. And my wife said that one of the be most beautiful sounds that she had ever heard in her life was to hear the change. The change hit the bottom of that bacon pan as these people from the streets that ain't got nothing dug down deep to give everything that they had to the living God. Can you say amen? Man, there was one guy that had two quarters. And as they were passing the offering plate, he said to the usher, he said, I've been saving this all week. Drop it in there. And the people that were watching probably felt like she didn't do anything. They felt like she didn't do anything. The people didn't see her do anything of significance. But God, but God honored what she did, even though it meant nothing to the rest of the world. It meant everything to him. And let me ask you this way, church. What do you think her life is like right now? There was another lady in the book of Mark in chapter 14. And Jesus was reclining at a table talking to Simon the Pharisee. And he was probably having a very similar conversation with what he had with Nicodemus, don't you think? Trying to break down the walls of legalism in his life so he could rebuild the, the tower of grace that he needed in his life. And then all of a sudden this woman busts up in the door. And she comes over to Jesus. And she breaks open this alabaster jar filled with perfume and she pours it all over him. And the Bible says, Mark 14, you need to read it yourself. The Bible says that his disciples were indignant. The people that were sitting around were mad at her. They were so mad at her because she was wasting this thing that could have been used for something else on the Lord. And the Bible says that they rebuked her harshly. I mean, they were cussing her out. They were like, why in the, did you come in here and you do that? And we could have used that for other things. And here you are, you piece of human garbage. And I can't believe that you would do this. And Jesus said, leave her alone. And I guarantee you they did. Because when the Lord speaks, man, people stop. You know, the Bible says when they came to arrest him that he yelled at them and they all fell down. I guarantee you that they stopped in their tracks. And the Bible says this, that he said to them, she's done a beautiful thing. She did what she could. She did what she could. She, she gave everything that she had. She did what she could. But how many of us have done what we can do? I mean, how many of us can, can, can say that we've taken everything that we have and then gave it to the Lord, man? When, since when have we done what we could do? 
She did what she could do. And the Bible says, man, Jesus said, wherever the gospel's preached, this is going to be remembered. Charles Spurgeon said that it was the most beautiful thing that happened in all of Scripture. And he said, look, no sick people were healed. No poor were cared for. No miracles happened. The earth didn't shake. The heavens didn't open. There was no lights and no fanfare. You know what happened? A person gave everything they had to worship God in spirit and truth, expecting nothing in return. Beautiful. There's a, a special sweetness to it. There's an amazing, miraculous aroma to it. And so, man, I challenge you with this way, church. Man, even if nobody knows, even if the pastor will never know, even if the elder board will never know, the church at large will never know, serve the Lord. But serve the Lord. Take your two pennies and give it to the Lord. And I don't just mean in the offer. I mean in your life, man. Give everything that you have to the Lord, even if no one ever knows. You know why? Because He does. Men, serve the Lord. Bring what you have to Him and serve Him with it. Even if the rest of the world mocks you and laughs at you. Even if the rest of the world rebukes you and cusses you out. Even if the world tries to stop you and harshly, harshly, you know, antagonizes you. Bring it to the Lord because He'll receive it and He'll bless it and He will honor it and He will lift you up when everybody else pushes you down and then He will remember what you've done and you know what? That's all that matters. But if you've ever done anything for the kingdom of God, if you ever prayed for one person or gave anything or did any minister to anybody in the street or did anything, if you ever poured a cup of coffee or swept a floor or, you know, clicked a mouse or anything that you ever did for God, you're investing in an epic kingdom. You're investing in something that lasts for all of eternity. You're doing something miraculous that's going to stand the test of time. Now, let me ask you a really serious question. And I want you to think about this. I mean, you don't have to answer and you don't have to give me the answer that I want just because just you're in church and just because I can see you. What's more important to you? All the accolades of the world or one wink from the Father's eye? I want you to take that with you. And as you make decisions that are going to lead the, the course of your life, man, I want you to think about that. Man, if he knows that we're willing to decrease so he can increase, what's that say? Too often we want Jesus to increase in our life, but we're unwilling to decrease. We'll pray for the increase. We'll seek the increase. We'll even work for the increase. But we don't get it because we're unwilling to decrease. See, we want to stay right where we are and then just have God bring the increase, right? And we'll just stay here and God, you just increase to here. But see, that doesn't work because we're finite creatures. God's infinite. We're not. We've only got so much space in our mind and in our heart and in our resources and in our activities. We've only got so much space. And so if we take all the space up in our life, there's no room left for God. And so if we really want to see the increase, not only do we have to fight for the increase, we've also got to bring about the decrease. 
See, we've got to be willing to lay part of ourselves down before He can refill that space in our lives. If we're really interested in Him being the increase, then we've got to be willing to be the decrease. We should be people of the decrease. Man, who was the greatest person that ever lived? Besides Jesus, because He's the Son of God, who was the greatest mortal person ever to live? Jesus knows, and He says in Matthew eleven eleven. In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, amongst those born of women, there is not anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist was the greatest human being ever to live. And yet he said, I'm not worthy to, tie the sand, to untie the sandals of the Lord. He was the greatest person ever to live. And yet he said, I'm just happy to stand here and hear his voice. He was the greatest person ever to live. And yet he said, he must increase me. I'm on the decrease. The life of John the Baptist is not just to be celebrated, but also to be emulated. We need to be the decrease so that he can be the increase. Can you imagine having to convince people that you're not the Messiah? I mean, it must have been crazy, right? I mean, John the Baptist, everybody was like, oh, you're the Messiah, right? You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. And also, all the time, he's like, no, I'm not the Messiah. Give me a break, okay? I'm not the Messiah. I just came to prepare the way. And now, everyone knows that I'm not the Messiah. I, I think it's well known. And yet, I have people that come to me all the time and say, Pastor, thank you for saving me. You saved my life. You set me free. You helped me when nobody else could. And I immediately, I immediately have to redirect that glory, right? I immediately have to fight the human temptation to be like, oh, well, thank you. I'm glad that I could be a help to you. I can't do that, not even for a second. I have to immediately redirect that glory to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit where it belongs. Otherwise, I am in grievous sin of trying to do like that weird guy in the photos that we showed at the beginning and steal glory from the living God. Here's what it comes down to. I want to do what God wants done. That's going to be our new battle cry here at the Way Church, man. We want to do what God wants done. How much more focused can you get than that? We want to do what God wants done, man. It's time for us to get out of God's way and let God be God and watch Him move on the earth and work His miracles and tell His truth and be exactly what we want Him to be. Man, God, we don't want Your glory. Say, I don't want Your glory. Do it again. Say, I don't want Your glory. We just want to be in the backstory of someone else's redemption glory. Can you say amen? But you know what, guys? I see an increase. I do. I, I, see, I see an increase. Do you, do you feel it coming? I mean, do you feel the increase? I mean, do you? Because I feel an increase coming, man. I feel the increase. I see the increase, man. I feel the power of God being poured out on this ministry. I see the power of God increasing in people's lives. Do you know why? Because we're on the decrease. We're on the decrease. 
We keep decreasing, so he keeps increasing. I keep seeing less and less of y'all. Not numerically, because we keep growing. Man, we had 400 people in church last week. Can you say amen? But that don't matter. You know what does? Is that even though last week we had like 400 people here, I saw less of them. I keep seeing less of y'all because I keep seeing more of him. I keep seeing less of you guys because I keep seeing more of him. Every time I look at you, I see less of you and I see more of him. I mean, I keep hearing less of you because the conversations that I'm able to have with you, I, I hear less of you. And in your voice and the things that you're saying, I hear more of him all the time. I hear him being praised. I hear him being thanked. I hear him being called upon. Man, I hear more of him. I see your social media posts. Some of y'all should have thought for you accepted my friend request. I'm just saying. I had one person here at the church that tell me that her Facebook account wasn't saved yet. And... But even there, a few months ago, I stood up here, and some of y'all will remember. A few months ago, I stood up here, and I kind of rebuked people for what they were posting online. And I just was flat out about it. I said, hey, don't be coming up in here and lifting your hands to the Lord and then going home and dropping a bunch of F-bombs and putting naked booty pictures on your Facebook. And I'm just saying it's the truth. It's the truth. But I don't have to do that anymore. I, I haven't had to do that in, in a long time. And I, I, when I look at your social media accounts, you know what I see? I, mean, I see praise reports and prayer requests. I see brothers and sisters in Christ lifting each other up. I, mean, I see Bible verses being posted. And I see people making videos just praising the Lord. I, mean, I, I look at your, even your online accounts and I see less of you and I see more of Him. I, mean, I look at our church and I see less of us all the time and I see more of Him. I mean, we're on the decrease. So our God, he's on the increase. Can somebody give him some praise up in the house today? People of the decrease. I want to decrease. Down to nothing if I have to. Down to nothing. Down to nothing. If it means that his kingdom will increase just a little. We'll give everything. Man, if his kingdom will increase just a little, that's what it's all about. But you know what he does? He takes that little and he breathes the breath of life on it. And he pours his precious blood on it. And he forges it and makes it and multiplies it into something the likes of which we could never imagine. Can you say amen? Man, can you just stand up and give him praise this morning?